From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. Seriously, make it stop. Thankfully, there's one company out there that's giving you a much-needed break. It's Mint Mobile. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. That's mintmobile.com slash switch. Welcome to Dram Talk, your new mates on your journey into the world of whiskey. I'm Brad. And I'm Daniel. And today we'll be looking at the Lafroy 10 and the Ardbeg 10. And we'll also be discussing peated whiskey. Yeah, so uh, Daniel, it's been a while and I don't know if the audience can tell, but this is another remote recording. And Daniel, why is that? Well, it's especially different for remote recording because it's actually an interstate remote recording. Um, so I'm currently... Down in Canberra, um, working. So chances are we may have some slight delay due to the internet connection here. Yeah, uh, you definitely would have heard the choppiness there. So if you have, if you didn't catch it, Daniel has left the awesome state of New South Wales to go to the ACT. So I mean, I mean, we can't just stop the pod. We have to keep going, right? And yeah, I mean, there's always room for whiskey. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, for me, it just gives me an excuse to head down to the ACT now. Yeah. I mean, like this, it's a whole new world. I've got new, new whiskey bars to try out, new whiskey friends to meet. Yeah. So then, so guys probably stay tuned for the next podcast. Daniel will probably start another one when he meets a new whiskey friend down in Canberra. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. No comment there. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably, you probably already made plans and you're already getting ready to start your new pod. But, yeah, I uh, can only offer <laughs> you another 20 minutes, Brad. I'm going to have to run <laughs> the next group on its ice cream now. And I mean, before we head into the first whiskey today, which is Lafroy 10, and I mean, it's almost blasphemy that it's taken us this long to get to it, or whenever you're hearing this, but last weekend for us, um, mm. we went down, I went down to Canberra and... Daniel and I managed to try some Lafroy gelato. Yes, that was really interesting. This, I guess, chocolate company called Jasper and Myrtle, they made a Lafroy gelato, which, you know, you might think is really strange and random. We, we certainly did, but it was something that was so interesting and unique that we just thought, you know, we, we've got to go and find this. We've got to try it. So, yeah, we, we tracked down their shop. And we were having a chat with the owners and yeah, like they love, well, <laughs> he loves whiskey and especially Irish whiskey, but they were saying like they were looking for whiskey that gave like the right kind of kick or addition of additional flavor to their gelato. And they settled for Lafroig both for its character as well as its price point. And uh, let me tell you that, that gelato, it, shocked us both how much it resembled the frog yeah and i don't know about you but i had no real way to feel or preconception of what a whiskey gelato would taste like or should taste like so going yep, into no. it and getting that experience gelato. yeah exactly like a peated one as well so going into it and then getting what we experienced with that first spoonful was just incredible yeah, it blew us out of the park. Like we just, I, I got two tubs. I, yeah. I had to get two. You know, and, and I only got but, the one um, tub just for the fear of it turning into mush on the drive back. I was panicking driving home thinking, oh God, how am I going to maintain the viability of this precious, precious gelato? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't think that would have worked for... Any kind of RBTs, they pulled you over to do a breath test. You're like, I swear it's just the gelato. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's good stuff. So, I mean, 
if you're in Australia and you ever head down to the ACT, head down to Jasper and Myrtle. And if they have the Lafroy gelato in stock, do yourself a favor and get a tub. It will blow your socks off. Yeah. And the chocolate is really good too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The chocolate's really good too. I mean, but you, what, this is a whiskey podcast, Daniel. So let's just, <laughs> let's just keep promoting yep. that Lafroy gelato. Stick to the whiskey. <laughs> but the chocolate is good. <laughs> the um so yeah let's um that gelato that gelato i mean yeah, that gelato that gelato but moving away from gelato now but we'll keep along the same theme of lafroy 10 so lafroy their distillery they've been running for over 200 years so i mean of course in within that time frame there's sure to be a few notable events and if we just sat here yeah like one or two yeah yeah so if we just sat here and did a breakdown of the history that's probably going to be the whole episode right and we've got another dream to get to so here's just my pick of the lot lightning around it <laughs> so Lafroy originally started 1815 two brothers leasing thousand acres or so of land and they were farmers originally they had an overproduction of barley and instead of you know i mean what would you do an overproduction of barley what would you what else what else to do than make whiskey right? You certainly wouldn't eat it. <laughs> no, nah, no, no, of course. So you'd make whiskey, right? Then of course, one of the brothers decided to emigrate, go to Australia. Good and choice. Then, good choice. Yeah, good choice. And then in 1847, Donald, the brother that remained behind to run the distillery, he died in an accident after falling into a vat of partially made whiskey. I mean, like that really sucks, but at the same time, I, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. You know, I'd probably do the same thing. So, <laughs> like, what? That'd probably be a way to go. Yeah. And another notable note in their history, you know, at, at a point in time, tensions with Lagerville and Rose. So they were both owned by Mackie & Co., a, I guess, conglomerate at the time, and they were owned a large portion of distilleries, and they were looking to make blends. And as Lafroy were more interested in producing their single malt, that agreement soon fell apart and Lafroy were accused of acting illegally by uh by Mackie and Co but they Mackie and Co lost this battle at tribunal but in retaliation as the tensions and the I guess the rivalry was getting a little heated between Lagavulin and Lafroy Lagavulin followed this by diverting their precious water source the Kilbride stream with stone blocks. So without their precious water, Lefroy's whiskey production was crippled. Then only after another court case would Peter Mackey, Lagavulin's manager at the time, he was ordered to restore the water supply. So I'm just imagining him having to go and just remove those rocks that they used to block the water yeah, supply. You, you got like the judge and the manager of Lefroy just standing there, like tutting, watching yeah. Peter Mackey just lift up these rocks. <laughs> like, I hope you learnt your lesson. <laughs> right. And um, however, though, this feud still persisted with Mackey then hiring Lefroy's distiller. So, with his help, Lagavulin built a new distillery that was identical to Lefroy that was named Malt Mill. So, they were just trying to replicate the great whiskey. That is Lefroig. However, despite their best efforts, they just weren't able to do that. Then by 1921, Ian Hunter had taken over the distillery and under Hunter's leadership, Lefroy flourished and became widely popular. But at that time, with Prohibition in full swing, Hunter had managed to successfully, successfully find a loophole in order to bypass US customs and Lefroy was able to be sold for medicinal purposes. And, you know, again... I buy it for medicinal yeah. purposes. <laughs> and again, I get it. Yep. You know, I get yeah. it. I just yeah. get it. <laughs> that just resonates with me. I don't know why, but mm-hmm. it does. And yeah, it really does. if anything, I think, which may be one of the biggest, I guess, footnotes in their history would be, I guess, in 1954, Bessie Williamson taking over. And this is just mm. a landmark moment in whiskey history in general, as few women had been in charge of distilleries before her. Then the company's royal warrant of appointment to the Prince of Wales happened in 1994. So if you don't know, Prince Charles, I mean, the late Prince Charles, loved Lefroy. Then in 1994, the distillery, distillery launched a new community named the Friends of Lefroy which now has nearly 500,000 members, probably more. But 
500,001 and 500,002, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, enclosed in every tube of Lefroy is a small leaflet with a unique code that can be used when signing up online and it's free. Uh, Friends of Lefroy is a unique concept which rewards the community there with a number of perks. But it also provides another benefit to the distillery itself. So the land owned by members surrounds the Kilbride stream. So... As such, the ownership is further protected and secured as any changes to that surrounding land would require the signatures of the Friends of Lefroy. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of signatures you got to get. <laughs> yeah, that's just not worth the time and effort, hey? Not worth the effort, no. <laughs> so, I mean, let's just hope Lagavulin and Lefroy are on good terms now. <laughs> no more rocks in the street. I mean, they're both great whiskies in their own right. So hopefully they've got their markets <laughs> and they can both keep operating and providing us with them. Yeah. So, I mean, those were just, I guess, my pick of the lot of the, I guess, great footnotes in Lefroy's history. So, I mean, if you've got the time, go out and read it because it's, there's some good stuff in there and it's a long history as well. Yeah. It makes for eventful reading. But now let's just, let's get on to... The wonderful spirit itself. Ah, yes. I've been waiting so long to get back into this one. Like, I think both of us, our bottles are getting quite close to the bottom. So we've just been really conservative with our pours of Laphroaig. And I know I haven't had one in a while, um, just because we've been waiting to get it done on the pod. Yeah, it's been ages for me as well. So I've just kind of had my bottle of Laphroaig at the very back of the cabinet just to avoid the temptation and just remove it from my mind. Just Brad, you do not have a bottle of Laphroaig 10. <laughs> so it's, it's just to make sure that I had some for the pod episode when we eventually yeah. did get to it. And as I said before, it's almost a crime that it's taken this long for us to get to Laphroaig, especially because, yeah, really yeah. and especially nah, considering but- when we purchased these bottles, how quickly Daniel and I both were just smashing it. Yeah. <laughs> I was disappearing so fast. I pick it up, the bottle up and I'm like, who's been drinking my Laphroaig? Because I swear there was more in here. Yeah. Yeah. I had the same issue. Like I remember um, after we'd purchased the bottle and maybe like two or three weeks, we were talking about it and we were saying like, what have you been drinking? And we were, I was just saying, oh, Daniel, Daniel, you know, I've only been having Laphroaig the past couple of weeks. And you're like, same. And I was like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> so, and that's kind of when you know that it's a great whiskey. It's just something just that keep coming yeah, back to. just keep coming back to it. Yeah. So it is, a, it is a tragedy when the bottle gets low, but yeah, as you said, you know, that's when you've got a good whiskey. It's like, you just can't stop drinking it. You can't help yourself. <laughs> yeah. And right now I can't help myself. Let's get onto the nose. Let's do it. Initially when I hit the nose of Lefroy, I get a little bit of saltiness, but it's not overly present like what you'd commonly find in some of the more coastal isla whiskies there are some hints of spice um but i think the main thing that sticks out to me is the medicinal character so definitely that iodine yeah yeah like knocked it out of the park there you've pretty much (laughs) stolen most of the the notes because i think that iodine peat is what really comes across and i mean like You'd see if you open a bottle and you're like, oh, this is medicine, and someone smelled it, like, you know what? You're probably right. It probably is medicine. (laughs) I mean, so again, I get it. Mm -hmm. You know, like if if I've got a cold, just just give me a little bit of Lafroy and I think I'll be all right. It's just got all the the properties I need to whatever ails you. (laughs) Yeah. And I think like the crossover between the iodine medicinal notes and the um, saltiness comes across in almost like a, a pleasant chlorine kind of note, like a really subtle chlorine note. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird for me because when you kind of put those notes together in your mind, you don't really associate it with a dram that could particularly be Moorish or maybe even even smooth or comforting, but then that's what mm-hmm. it turns out to be. Yeah, exactly. And like when it comes to the peat, like I know we said it's very iodine but there's also some kind of vegetal earthy note in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, that earthy nature kind of under, I guess, underlies everything and just gives it a nice base that it builds on. Mm-hmm. Going on to the palette now. And now for me, 
what I love about this palette is I even start to get notes of chili, maybe even black pepper at mm. the front. Then as it kind of makes its way across your palette, you get some notes. You still get some of those medicinal notes. You even get like a smoky oak feeling within your mouth. And as it continues to grow and as it's finishing, I'm almost getting a bit of a vanilla ice cream as well. I was going to say, like, I was getting that more, like, closer towards the front. So I was getting kind of a mixture of, and it's weird. It's like one of the things, like, as I'm piecing it together in my head, I'm picking out the notes. I'm like, these don't sound like they should go together because it is a little bit salty, but almost like a, or even savory, like more of an umami kind of flavor. Like the right. same thing you get with, like, I want to say kind of borderline seaweed. Um, you know, like, yeah, green, vegetal, salty notes. But then there is like a really nice, creamy, vanilla style smoothness that, as you said, it's like vanilla ice cream. And I'm like, you know what? I would, going back to the Lafrogue gelato, I'm like, you know what? I can see how, upon reflection, tasting this dram, how an ice cream made out of Lafrogue would actually work. Oh, yeah, 100%. And when... I get those notes of chili and black pepper as well. They're, they're actually really pleasant. Whereas when you get that mm. chili note in a Talisker, it's a bit more bitey. Yeah. And a bit more aggressive. Yeah. This is. Yeah. And yeah, whereas said, this presentation it's, it's, it's of chili, here. yeah, this presentation of chili, just super balanced and just, it kind of just dances across your tongue as opposed mm-hmm. to attacking your taste buds. Yeah, and then you start to. I'm starting to pick those out on the nose again, following having tasted them. Yeah, yeah. And what I love about the finish as well, huge, but at the same time, yeah, super dry. So, and then that dryness really sits well with the savory notes that we picked up as well. So it kind of, um, because even for me that that notion of vanilla ice cream was very subtle. It wasn't. I guess a defining character of the dram. So I wouldn't say this is a sweet dram, more leaning towards yep. the savory palette. So dry and savory, just good stuff. Yeah. The kind of peat that you're left with at the finish is yeah, a medicinal one that kind of sits at the back of your throat. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's blown out my palate and I'm just breathing out smoke. Yeah. Yeah. And even for me, the smoke on this one is very, at the back and it's a woody mm-hmm. oaky smoke it's not a smoke that envelops your palate but it's one that gives everything a nice coating it lets everything else play out in front and then it just kind yeah, of before em- making yeah. itself apparent yeah then it, it just kind of embraces everything else and then just everything else takes the front seat and takes the leads the show yeah and there is like a, a slight fruitiness that i'm it's hard to say where I'm picking it up. I feel like it comes across at the end as well, like kind of just like separate from the smoke, but it's it's almost like a pear. Okay, interesting. I don't really get too much of a fruity note. I'm more leaning along the spiciness and the savory. Yeah, but like it's coming across in, I guess, more of like a texture kind of way. It's okay, right. to, like the, yep. the flavor is still kind of there. Like it's, I'm getting like that flavor of the pear, but it's more like, you know, the kind of, I don't know how to describe the texture of like pear flesh, but it's like when you're eating a pear, that's, that's the feeling I'm getting. Do you want to add a bit of water or do you want to keep going? I was going to keep going, but I think, yeah, it's, it's a good point. Um, it is at 40%. So we'll probably only just add a couple of drops. I mean, before, even before we get into the addition of water, the dream itself is quite complex even without that addition of water helping it to open up and breathe a little bit yeah oh, i 100 agree and it's i mean like it shows you that even if you're buying a whiskey that's at that base level of 40 percent, you're not necessarily sacrificing abv for quality because lafroy can show you you can do both i mean like after adding the water going back onto the nose like that chili pepper note is standing out a lot more yeah 100 percent even for me, the iodine note or even that medicinal note almost from like, I guess like a first aid box is almost jumping out a bit more as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Cause it's like the kind of thing like you don't think when you describe that kind of 
sense. You don't think it's going to be something you'd actually enjoy, but it really is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just just really weird notes that you're thinking, oh, what does this remind me of? Oh, it reminds me of a first aid box. Oh, well, that's not going <laughs> to taste good. And then you're like, well, wait, it actually does. <laughs> yeah. It's like, do you want to taste a whiskey that smells like a first aid box and a chlorine pool? <laughs> Try Laphroaig. <laughs> and I think what's really interesting as well, like I'm getting a little bit of mocha on the end now. Is that on the palate or the nose? On the palate. It's a bit weird. Yeah, maybe, the ending's changed. Yeah. I don't know if maybe it's mocha or maybe it's just a sweeter note that's being a bit more present now. That's actually revealed itself with the addition of water. Not too sure. Yeah, I would have maybe said something different. Like, so that I've lost the pear now. After adding the water, that pear's gone. But it's replaced by almost like a bitterness that, you know, could possibly come down to some kind of coffee grain. But it's more of like not fresh coffee grains, but like coffee grain that's already had like the water run through it. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Really interesting with the addition of water. Um, I'd say I'd still prefer it without the water. I would agree. I think it's a little bit smoother without the water. Yeah. Like the water's making some of the notes stand out a little bit sharper like that kind of peppery note is leaving a slight kick yeah or a slight not necessarily burn but like that you know, the kind of peppery burn you get when you have pepper or too much pepper yeah yeah but the the smoothness that i guess characterizes this whiskey is more present without the addition of water yeah, yeah, I'd agree. But then again, that's just something as well. When it comes to our palates, we usually prefer whiskey without water. But as you've seen on the pod, there are some instances where we have been surprised and water has Would always <laughs> Yeah, has benefited a whiskey. So hey. To each their own. But mm. Daniel and I both say before ten, best without. But I would say with the addition of water, um, I'm kind of noticing it as I'm speaking that like the smokiness of it is starting to feel a bit more present now. Yeah. Like I feel like I've got smoke coming from the back of my mouth and through my nose. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point as well. Just because um, prior to that, the smoke, like I mentioned before, was just kind of embracing everything else. Now it's a bit more forward. And it, yeah. as opposed to embracing everything, it's kind of saying, move aside, get out of the way. It's my turn. <laughs> <laughs> Coming through. Yeah, it's it's almost that now. All right. Well, it, this is hard because I can't see how much you've got left, but I'm about to finish my dram, Brad. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm just about to finish as well. So do you want to get into a dram in words? Let's do it. All righty. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go? Well, okay. I'm going to go first. Um, and... My dream in words for this is I'm a kid. I'm running around the pool. I've slipped over and scraped my knee and I'm getting it bandaged. So the lifeguard is opening the first aid box and pulling out a bandage and they're swabbing it down with iodine. And I don't know if iodine, benadine, whatever, whatever they use to clean the wounds. <laughs> um, and it's been bandaged up and I've been given a lollipop because I was such a brave boy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? I thought you were about to end that with, and then I was given a dram of the Freud 10. I was, <laughs> I was, oh, far out. I was, childhood. <laughs> I was waiting for that at the end. And when you said, I was like, what? I was about to say, what is going on? You just said you were a kid and you've been given a dram of the Freud 10. Oh, man. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. And what about you? Alright, so my dreamy words for Lefroy 10. I am the tin man going down the yellow brick road looking for a heart. And I finally reached the wonderful Wizard of Oz. And instead of a heart, he's given me the Lefroy 10 to warm me <laughs> and comfort me. That is my dreamy words. I mean, 
what what better reward at the end of the journey? Yeah, 100%. The best reward that you could ever get. <laughs> you ask for a heart, he gives you the frog 10. Basically the same thing. Yeah, basically the same thing. I mean, he could have given me any peated whiskey, but this is what Lafroy 10 makes me feel. <laughs> yeah, it suits you for that moment. <laughs> but just while you're speaking, sorry, I was just finishing my dram, but I was having another smell of it, and I'm like, getting honey on the nose too. Oh. Just just my final, my final note. <laughs> ah, very nice. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, let's head on to our segment. Alrighty, we're back. Segment time. Okay, so our segment is, I guess it's going to be a discussion of Pete. I mean, like we kind of couldn't not talk about Pete on an episode that features two peated whiskeys. And I'm aware we have already discussed like what is and how it's used in whiskey, but I think we'll give a little bit more on the history as well as how it's used, why it's used and our favorite things about Pete. So um, a lot of this information I got from a website called the World Whiskey Day. So um, just referencing my sources. Um, But Pete was was used in like the whiskey making process primarily because it was just a readily accessible fuel throughout most areas of Scotland. Um, It was primarily used as like a domestic fuel. So like heating up hearths and fireplaces, but it was also used in distillery kilns. So, <laughs> as we've already mentioned. They were saying like hearths. I'm like, yes, it does. Pete does warm my heart. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I hear it, I'm like, ah, yes, Pete. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we've, we've already spoken about how that kind of Pete works in the whiskey making process, like how barley is peated. Uh, But to quickly recap, when it's burnt in kilns, it releases like an aromatic smoke, which has a significant influence on the barley. So it imbues it with a compound called phenols. And if you've read, I know a couple of whiskeys, particularly Octomore references like the PPM, which is parts per million. So that's a measure of the phenolic content in the whiskey. Um, and so peated whiskey was basically the norm across most distilleries in Scotland. And I mean, like, what a time to be alive when yeah. every distillery was just doing peated whiskey. I'm telling you, I'm born in the wrong age. I know. We really were. <laughs> yeah. But we, we still have access to it. So, you know, yeah, consolation can't prize. <laughs> can't <Yeah>. complain. <laughs> but slowly distilleries moved away from peat. And this was mainly because peat, just really divided consumer opinion. So you'd have some people that loved peated whiskeys and some people that would shop on like the more lightly peated range. Um, But, you know, it was also a result of like innovation and access to fuel, uh, primarily access to Coke. And I'm not talking about that Coke (laughs) or the other Coke. (laughs) I'm talking about Coke, um, which is like a hard gray porous fuel that has like a really high carbon content and it has few impurities, um, which means it burns more evenly and consistently with less smoke than peat. Now, Coke was made really accessible in Scotland with the development of rail and transport. So um, most engines burnt coal or burnt Coke and, you know, by building railways throughout Scotland, large supplies of coal and Coke were transported throughout the land becoming more available. Now, the Lowlands and Speyside were the first regions to realize the potential of unpeated whiskey for like a wide consumer market. And a lot of other distilleries soon followed suit. Now, Isla and Orkney, as well as several mainland distilleries, held on to that tradition of peating their whiskeys, um, which, you know, we are extremely grateful for. <laughs> yes, 100%. But most of these distilleries... Yeah, (laughs) but most of these distilleries used um, varying proportions of peat, which has resulted in like the wide variation of flavor of peat used in whiskeys today. Um, And, you know, one of the things is like, it's said that every whiskey drinker eventually makes his, hers, or his, hers or their way to peated whiskey, which, you know, we completely get. Yeah. 
but you know some people ask like well, why is this like why do people make their way to peated whiskey i don't think this is a question we've ever really asked being peat heads basically from the get-go like we've just found the love of peated whiskey pretty much intuitive as well as like embedded in what whiskey is yeah we've almost worked i guess backwards we've we kind of fell in love with peter whiskey and then we're making our way back to unpeated whiskey now yeah yeah so we're trying to see like what what does unpeated whiskey has to offer can we enjoy it as much as we enjoy peated whiskey we have found it is possible yeah but others have speculated on the appeal of peated whiskey. So, and I mean, like, I thought this was super poetic, but the author of McLean's Miscellany of Whiskey said, perhaps the Big Islers, the smokiest of all malt whiskies, recollect the whiskies of the past. And perhaps one of the reasons for their current popularity is their authenticity, their heritage, an atavistic folk memory like candles and open fires, Christmas trees and stormy nights. Oh, I mean, like, what a dream. If that doesn't make you want to try peated whiskey, I don't know what will. Yeah, 100%. That, I mean, that that is a dream in words. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this guy has nailed that concept. But yeah, so peated whiskey, it's more than just like the addition of a smoky flavor to whiskey. It is still a defining aspect of scotch whiskey so i think it transcends you know world whiskey and a lot of people when they think of scotch initially associate some level of peat or some level of smoke to whiskey um which i guess is what our, like our affinity for scotch and why most people see scotch and whiskey as like basically the same kind of terms yeah on that, I mean, let's just talk about our favorite peated whiskies now. I mean, this isn't necessarily a particular distillery or bottle, but probably what we like about different variations in peat, as well as mm-hmm. which ones are our favorites. So really, what types of peat do we like? And maybe even we'll talk about the idea of maybe even experiencing palate fatigue from remaining within that peated environment for a bit too long, which of course both of both you and I have experienced. And maybe we can talk about that and dwell on that as well. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And like when I think of peated whiskies, I mean the first thing, like when you initially get into it, a lot of what you're getting is just that overwhelming smoky notes. You can't it can be hard for people starting out to see beyond that or at least see the differences between different kinds of peated whiskey yeah and it's even looking beyond what else the smoke has to offer you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. or what's even or even if it's worth their time trying to uncover what's behind that smoke yeah and so i think like that smoke or at least more accurately say the peat takes a couple of different forms so for me i usually associate it as like either being like earthy um or medicinal um you've got like smoky or like burnt wood and ash now i characterize those as two different like smoky is like smoke but then you've got like burnt wood which is more like the remnant so you've got more of the sense of the wood that has been burnt as opposed to the smoke that's coming off it. So it's like, yeah. there was a fire here. There isn't currently a fire, but there was one. Yeah. So, so if you ever, so I was going to say, so maybe you'd characterize smoky as more along the lines of a campfire. Yeah. And then the burnt wood ash kind of thing is a campfire the next day yeah. like when you get up in the morning and you've got kind of like, you know, there was a fire burning the day before. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of smell imbues everything. Um, and then you've also got like on the lines of like the savory, meaty, cooked food kind of sense. Um, and lastly, I would probably also say like I get like a very tar and oily kind of like kind of a what would you call it? like a mechanic shop or a yeah. boat shed, those kind of yeah engine oil, tar road. So peat can take a variety of forms, and I think just if you enjoy peat exposure to a variety of distilleries is going to give you a sense of of the differences between, or at least the variations with which peat can take. And that can be hard if you're just sticking to like your favorite distillery and you're never really branching beyond that. 
Yeah, definitely. And even for myself, like my favorite experiences of peat are generally the notes that present as smoky, coastal, earthy, medicinal, and those savory notes as well. I've also started to enjoy the tarry characteristic and that oily nature. I never used to really love peat for that, but I've started to enjoy it and really, I guess, appreciate it now. I also, and also a note that I guess took me a little while to really appreciate was that vegetal note where it's almost like decayed vegetation or burnt vegetation. So that note was something that took me a little while to come to terms with in terms of truly appreciating it. And for me, yeah. And for me, the whiskey that really turned that gets turned the dial for me on that would be that Lagavulin 12, the, uh, 2019 special release. So yeah, that really turned my head onto that and really gave me a core appreciation for it. Yeah. And I think that's just one of the only ways you can start to pick out these differences between the varieties of peated whiskey is by trying different ones. And, and, you know, it is a good way to avoid palate fatigue. Like if you initially got a really good smoky hit from a whiskey and you keep going back to that one, and you can't quite capture that, you know, going to another one can almost alleviate that. Um, or at least it gives you a different perspective or a different like way of viewing Pete. So when you do return to the initial one that kind of caught your attention, you can get that back. Um, and that's kind of like the differences between how Pete can express itself but, you know, stepping beyond that, which is what we found, is if you take a break from peated whiskeys altogether, upon returning, you almost find, like, a new appreciation for it, or at least you're able to pick out the variety of complexities in the flavors that lie underneath the peat and the smoke. Yeah, and even for myself, like, on my own whiskey journey, I've taken, there have been periods of time where I know I might need to take a step back from peated whiskey because typically when you're experiencing a whiskey from Isla or Sky, Orkney or wherever, if it's a peated whiskey, generally it's a big flavor, a bold flavor, one that pretty much encompasses your entire palate. So yeah, every now and again, you are going to need to take a break from that. And if, for myself, particularly, if I I often take, uh, when I take a step away from Peter Whiskey, I often go to the lighter characteristics present in a Speyside, or I even take time in the Highlands as well, or, you know, have some Aussie whiskey too, because good stuff here as well. So <laughs> I often like to take a step away every now and again, just to almost reset my palate. And in a sense, maybe reset my palate without taking a break from whiskey because I don't want to take a break from whiskey. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's just finding other ways to reset my palate. And while I'm doing that, I'm still training my palate in a different area, a different region, trying to still gain more in that bank of association so that when I do come back to that Peter whiskey, it almost has a more prominent effect than it did um, when I was just, I guess, enthralled or trapped within that um, one subcategory of whiskey. Yeah. And I think like taking a step away that like you can't force yourself to do it. Cause I know what it's like to like love peated whiskey and just want more peated whiskey. And you're like, you know, maybe I should go away. And then if you try something else, you're just like, this doesn't have peat. I'm not going to, I'm not enjoying it as much as I would have. And it's like, so the, you need to be open to that. You need to be like willing to accept the fact that I'm trying this whiskey. I'm going to find a way to enjoy it without the peat. Like yeah. I'm going to look for reasons why not having peat in this one is a good thing. And I like for me, I find it's more seasonal, my enjoyment. Like I'm more open to trying a variety of different expressions in summer. Right. 
when it comes to like the colder weathers in winter, it's like, all I want is that smoky whiskey. Like I want that warm fire feeling inside me. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's almost what I experienced as well, especially like for us here in Australia, we're heading into winter now into the colder months. I'm most likely just going to be exclusively drinking peated whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, so sir. It would be, it will, it will make it very hard to step away, but you know, I'll try. I'll try. Yeah. yeah that's what, that's what you got like the cask strength cherry ones for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, I mean, <laughs> you know, reach out to us if you've got any say on peated whiskey or maybe even your own experiences with peated whiskey. What do you enjoy with peated whiskey? What are your favorite types? Or, I mean, what are your favorite bottles or, favorite expressions of peat. Maybe there's a peated whiskey in a rum cask, for example, or a sherry cask that you really think we should turn our head to and give it a go. So reach out. Or even like a peated whiskey from another country. Oh yeah. Love to try that stuff too. So reach out to us, you know, dramtalk.au at gmail.com or dramtalkpodcast on Instagram. We'd love to hear any whiskey. (laughs) Any whiskey, even if it's not peated anything and we would (laughs) love to hear it so uh with that let's get back into the whiskey righty so second dram of the evening second dram of the pod I'd beg 10. All right. Now for my brief, I guess, bullet points on Ardbeg's history, um, you know, like every distillery's history is somewhat unique and they all have their little interesting quirks, but I think coming off the back of the diversity and intrigue of Lafroig's can make any distillery seem a little bit uneventful. <laughs> um, but yeah, so most of Ardbeg history, um, pulled it from the Scotch whiskey website and like Lafroig, they were founded in 1815 by the McDougall family. Um, Alexander McDougall was, I guess, the big boss, the forerunner. He died in 1853 and actually that left the distillery to be run by his sisters, Margaret and Flora. Now, you know, there's a trend here for Isla, Isla distilleries to be run by women. And, you know, is that correlated to the, the good product they've put out I'll leave that for you to decide yeah um but the reason for its success over the year was due to um the growing popularity of blends so you know like a lot of whiskies like i think the entire scotch whiskey market has basically been held up by blended whiskey throughout most of its history and a lot of blends wanted to have some level of like a smoky element running through them so Ardbeg was a good choice for them. So they primarily did blends. Um, in 1911, the Ardbeg name and that like iconic Celtic style A were registered as a trademark. Um, and like all distilleries, there were fluctuations in its popularity um, and production over the years. It was mothballed for the first time in 1981. Um, so basically it hadn't closed down. They just shut its doors and didn't really do anything. Uh, but production was restarted in 1989. Um, this was on an intermittent basis. And when they opened in 1989, when they opened the doors again in 1989, they joined Lafroig in the Allied Distillers Group. Um, the distillery itself was silenced once more in 1996, but it was saved a year later by Glenn Morangie. Now, at this point, Ardbeg had already got like a big reputation as a cult single malt. So Glenn Morangi kind of had the challenge of managing current expectations as well as like recreating the entire brand. So they invested in a visitor center and a cafe, which for years was basically the only place to eat out in the south of Isla. Um, and due to its stock profile the first age statement that was released under Glen Morangie was um the 17 year old and that's when they like restarted production and it wouldn't have been until about 2008 when the 10 year old would finally be like 
ready to hit the market considering they had to age it for 10 years. Um, although they did have incremental releases to kind of show their work in progress from about 2004. So they called these the very young, the still young and the almost there. Um, I think judging from the current release of the Wii Beastie, it might be as close as you can get to experiencing one of these younger Ardbeg um, expressions without paying an extreme amount of money uh, because some of Ardbeg's non-age statement releases um, have been like, I guess, created exclusively from their now very rare old stock. Um, but that doesn't mean all of the non-age statements are because there are some that are either from a new batch or just from a mix of them. And I guess like the most recent point in Ardbeg history was in 2018 when they unveiled plans to double Ardbeg's production capacity with the addition of another pair of stills to be housed alongside the existing two in a new still house. And I think that's like, aside from the kind of quite regular and interesting releases, that's pretty much Ardbeg's history to date. And I think that leads us to the dram of the 10. Oh, good. A lot briefer than mine. So <laughs> I was, I was glad for that. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So was I. <laughs> Alrighty, no offense. Yeah, like a lot of, like the Freud's history was really interesting. Yeah. And my voice is lovely. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's get into the nose of the Ardbeg 10. I mean, like, the first thing I noticed on this one is it's a lot more salty. And it's yeah. a lot more savory. It's, you're not getting so much of, like, that kind of wet seaside medicinal notes. No, not at all. This one, for me, is significantly more peat forward on the nose. But, mm-hmm. as you mentioned before, I get that real strong sense of I guess a coastal feel, which is a significantly yeah. more present in this than it was in the Lafroy. Yeah, and there's like a um a very like salt and lemony kind of scent to it, which does give you that kind of coastal sense. <laughs> yeah, it's it's um really interesting. Whereas I wasn't really getting any of those fruity notes that you mentioned in the Lafroy. Um mm. This here, though, you can really see a real citrusy characteristic there on the nose. Yeah. Almost like a lemony lime. It's really good stuff. I even get like a little, really weird, but for me, like a small, I guess, indication of golden syrup. I don't know. Okay. Interesting. I'm I'm not picking that out because I'm, I'm getting more of that kind of sharp citrusy note yeah. as well as a a spice there that's probably along the lines of like a cardamom. Yep. Yep. Or a clove. Yep. To be fair, the citrus note is quite striking in Ardbeg. Yeah. But what I like about that citrus note though, it gives it a very clean, almost refreshing feel. Yeah, it does. Right. Let's go into the palate. I think we should. I mean, it's one of those ones where it's satisfying that, what you're getting on the nose meshes so well with what comes across on the palate. Yeah. Cause you've gotten that like really lemony lime kind of sense to it, but there's like a really sweet, not a really sweet, but there is like a smooth, sweet vanilla that underlines it. So it just cut through the sharpness of that to give you a very balanced experience. And then you just got like that smoky peat that rises up at the back. Yeah. If you know Ardbeg, the smoke that they produce in their whiskey is just almost just one of my favorite expressions of peat. Yeah, I would agree. It's just, oh man, it really just engrosses your palate and it's almost all consuming. It just kind of fills your mouth and that's almost all you get. But at mm-hmm. the same time, it somehow leaves room for other flavors to be present, which just in my mind doesn't seem to, like, does not compute because of how filling and how full it is. Yeah. 
Yeah, because it's weird. Because like, yeah, even as you were talking, I just I felt that smoke parting, and then what I was left with was again that com that combination of that kind of sweet and citrusy note, and I was getting like a lemon meringue. Yeah. Or a lemon tart. That's probably like a lemon custard. Mm. Yeah. And with the finish here, whereas I said the Lefroy was a nice big finish, for me, the Ardbeg's finish is long mm-hmm. as opposed to being big or grandiose. It's just a long finish. But it's a long finish that's really characterized by almost the saltiness of the sea air as well yep. as some underlying sweetness, but then you still get those faint characteristics of maybe a dying bonfire on the beach. You know, just, oh man, just the finish is so good on this. Uh-huh. Yeah, it is. And I like, I think we should note that this does come in at 46%. So it is quite a big jump up from the Lafroig, but it both makes me surprised at the complexity of the Lafroig, like surprised and impressed. I'm like, yeah, Lafroig did a really good job at 40%. Um, but then, yeah, you do, it does show you that like, well, being at 46%, obviously Ardbeg would be non-chill filtered, which they do state on the bottle. Um, looking at it, you'd say natural color as well. So, you know, an all round solid expression. Yeah, 100%. So do you want to get into some water now? Yeah, I think we should. We can add a little bit more in this time, but I'll probably only still add a couple of drops. Enough to see how much it changes, but I've been quite happy with my experience of it so far. <laughs> yeah, I've been pretty content. Not looking to the addition of water, but we must for the pod. <laughs> <laughs> for the pod. So, like, I'm getting, like, similar to the Lafroig with the addition of water, like, the sharpness of the salt and there's almost like a peppery note that's coming across here as well. Yeah. Interesting for me, I'd say it's almost like if you put salt onto a lemon, that's almost what I'm getting on the nose. Yeah. It's like a salted lemon. Yeah. Like following a tequila shot. <laughs> yeah. But the, the, but the uh, spirit that you consumed prior is significantly more superior. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, and like what I am enjoying about this is it does feel very clean from the smell. So it's like that kind of fresh, crisp sea air. Yeah. So, I mean, if you are on a diet, this may be the whiskey for you. (laughs) (laughs) It'll feel like fresh and crisp, but it's also very full. Yeah. I mean, I'm really enjoying the nose with the addition of water. It's really opened up the citrus characteristic. But at the same time, really amplified the saltiness. Now, the I guess the scent of peat that I picked up prior to the addition of water has really subsided. But what's mm-hmm. remained is still quite enjoyable. Yeah. And like another thing, and I think this comes with the ABV as well, but even the legs on the glass with this, they are still very thick, very slow, and they remain there for so long. And you're like, that is... That is good quality stuff. <laughs> yeah. So when you're looking at it, you're like, this is a substantial whiskey. Yeah. All right. Let's get onto the palette again. Saying getting a lot of the similar notes. If anything, the other addition to it that is more of another element as opposed to a defining characteristic is more like a lemon sherbet coming across too. Yeah. I think for my, I guess palette that I'm getting with the addition of water I'm getting a bit more presence of pepper and it's a bit more fiery a little more lively I'm also getting some grassy notes um presenting themselves Mm. but what I'm really enjoying though is that slight hint of pepper jumping up and just the fact that it's almost hopped out of the seat and I guess just sprung to life a little bit I'm really enjoying it yeah, like I, I'm picking that up on the nose. I'm not so much getting it on the palate, but yeah, like what you're saying, like the, it's striking on the nose, like very strongly to the sense of like, it's very reminiscent of Talisca, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, in that sense where when you add that water to Talisca, it almost strikes out at you. Yeah, mm-hmm. just strikes out at you and gives you a little bit more 
pep, a little more zest. That's almost what you're getting here as well. Yeah. And again, just just like the Lefroy, so much complexity to enjoy in the Ardbeg. I don't know about you, but I am done. Ah, uh, I'm almost done. I'm after the water, like before when I mentioned, like the smoke parted and I was getting like a lemon tart or a lemon custard. Now I'm getting salted caramel. I found it's a very weird twist, but not a very weird twist, but like I wasn't expecting the finish to change from that kind of lemony, citrusy tart to something sweet like a caramel, but it has, and I enjoy that. Yeah, for me, the finish with the water is more, it's more of a dry smoke and it's, yeah. it's still very lengthy. So I really enjoy that, that the finish hasn't lost its length. So for me, that's quite impressive. All right. Since you finished, do you want to go on with your dreaming words? Yeah, sure. So my dreaming words for the Ardbeg 10, this for me is a bonfire by the seaside. I've got my cast iron pan and this is bacon and eggs by the, on the seaside, sitting there with a the campfire. You're still getting that waft of smoke, but then you've still got, you've got, you know, one of the best breakfasts you could ever have, bacon and eggs. Ah, yeah. Take me there now, Brad. <laughs> that sounds really good. <laughs> um, yeah, my dreaming words, I would say pretty similar. Um, it is like a beach side party. So, but like a kind of relaxed one, you know, you go down there with your friends, you make a bonfire on the beach, it's late in the night, music playing, having some drinks around the fire. You got the sound of the ocean in the background, just all around good time. Nah, that's good too. That's good too. Alrighty. So I think it's time for the ratings. Lafroy 10. Daniel, what are you up? Oh, okay. Hmm. I think I'm going to give the Lafroy 10 a 7.6. 7.6. Whoa. What, do you think that's too low? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's a bit low. I think that's a bit harsh. I think you'd be hard done by that. I mean, like, I've put it in the range with Wee Beastie, Open 14. I know you'd love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, But, like, I've got Tobamori 12 at 7.8. I've got Bunahaban 12 at 7.8. Like, these are ones that I think... I enjoy. Oh, yeah. That was about to say, I was like, I challenge uh, you to a duel. I was about uh, to slap you with a glove. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm, I'm going to have to give it a seven. I'm, I'm going to have to put it in the range with those. So I'm giving it a 7.8. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, you know how much I love Bunahaban 12 and Tobamori. Yeah. I, I that's think fair. That's this fair. is on par with them. Like, if those three were sitting on my shelf, I would have to, I would say flip a coin, but I've got three bottles and the coin only has two sides. So <laughs> roll the dice to decide which one, because I just would be torn between them. Yep. So for me, Lafroy 10 is 8.3. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's an 8.3. It is, it's bloody good. I love it. And having mm-hmm. that dream of it today, it almost pained me that I hadn't had a dream of it for that long. It almost yeah, just gave yeah, me a I bit. <laughs> yeah, it gave me that, oh, Brad, you've been missing out. But at the same time, I felt good. <laughs> I felt good having that dream. Yeah. I felt real good having that dream. So it was, it was like, like we mentioned before in our segment, it was one of those, you know, I stepped away and now I have an even greater appreciation for Lefroy. Yeah. Right, so that leaves the Ardbeg 10. What about 10. the... Right, so yeah. for me, the Ardbeg 10 is going to sit at a 8.5. Oh, okay. Yep, so I, I just enjoy the Ardbeg 10 a little bit more than the Lefora 10, and I yep. definitely do enjoy the 10 more than the Wee Beastie. So that's kind of my thinking there, going yeah. into it. And just looking at 
where I've rated whiskeys and where they're at. I'd beg 10, Lagavulin 16. For me, they're kind of on par, to be honest. I could mm-hmm. almost go either way um, when I'm looking for an either whiskey, you know? Yeah, I get that. And I'm like, I will point out as well, because I find it funny. It's like, I know we have, like, we've re reviewed the Wee Beastie, but we haven't re reviewed Black. But like, you've rated Black 7.5, and yeah. you've rated Wee Beastie an 8. <laughs> Black was at a very challenging time in my life. It was so... early on in the process. We all make mistakes. <laughs> it, was a, it was at a very challenging time in my life. You know, I was still finding my feet in the whole podcasting world. So young and naive. <laughs> yeah, I was young, naive. My hair was still flowing, you know. So <laughs> it was it was a challenging time. It was a different time. So looking back on it now, of course, the Ardbeg Black will be looked at again, as will mm-hmm. some other whiskies that we have reviewed, as we have reviewed over 40 different drams. Can you believe it? But uh Daniel, Ardbeg 10, where are you at? I'm gonna have to give it an eight point two. Ooh, eight point two. I mean, I'm I'm glad that you actually recognized the greatness that we had today and put yep. something in the eights. So I'm happy for that. <laughs> I'm happy for that. I mean, like, it's hard to say because it is really hard to consider where we place them because I know we have said we don't necessarily compare one whiskey directly with another. But it's just, I guess it's more like for our learning curve with like, how do we actually view these whiskeys when it comes to, I guess this is like what we put in here is a mix of the quality of the whiskey as well as our experience with it. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean because we've rated one higher than another, we think it's a better whiskey. We maybe just enjoyed it that much at that particular point in time. And the other one, we didn't enjoy as much at a particular point in time, or we did enjoy it, but, you know, for whatever reason, it just felt more appropriate to keep it within a certain range. So I think that's kind of where we have to put a caveat. And we have mentioned it, like our ratings table is a fluid thing. We will be changing the ratings. We will hopefully get this live somewhere so you can see what we have previously rated as opposed to going back through our podcast episodes yeah, to yeah. find out. <laughs> yep, that is the plan. Um, so stay tuned. <laughs> stay tuned. But yeah, so I think I rated the Lafroig 10, the 7.8, just because with a lot of those others, I noticed I also rated the Talisker Storm as 7.8. So it just fits within that range of all of these whiskeys that I would love to have on my shelf all the time. And they're basically the kind of daily drinker ones. Like if I felt like a whiskey, these are one of the ones I would be reaching for to have a dram yeah. of. Yeah. And then that Ardbeg 10 falls into that, you know, one that just hits a little different. And you're like, yeah, that's that's kind of a step above. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And as, like as you can see by our ratings today that we did kind of both fall in line with the Ardbeg being just that little bit better than the Laporte 10. And that might just be our yep. palettes. So when it comes to peated whiskey, I find that Daniel and I tend to have a pretty similar palette. Of course, we yep. differ when it comes to branching out from that, where I do prefer a sweeter dram and Daniel prefers the save a more mm-hmm. savory dram. But in like in this instance, since our palettes do similarly align when it comes to peated whiskey, yeah, we've both kind of come to the conclusion that Ardbeg is just that little bit better than the Lafroy 10. And both being 10-year-olds, yeah. you can almost draw a direct comparison, but in that same instance, we know that Lafroy 10 is very unique in the profile that they do deliver. So, hey, I mean, look, if I guess the best way to put it would be if you're looking for a more medicinal dram, lean towards Lafroy. If you're looking for something a bit more coastal, Ardbeg 10. That, that's a pretty fair assumption. And I think that would just about wrap it up for today. Yes, it would. So hopefully the recording comes out all right. Um, it has been our first time trying to record interstate working on hotel crappy Wi-Fi. So yeah. <laughs> hopefully there hasn't been too much lag. Um, and future episodes will probably be on a more stable internet connection. Yes. 
that is the hope. But as, <laughs> al- but as always, thanks for listening, ladies and gentlemen. That's all we have time for today. So it would be a huge help if you could give us a rating. You know, preferably five stars. Um, so wherever you get your podcast, it's a huge help to us. Yeah. And if you'd like to get into contact, you can reach us at Dream Talk Podcast on Instagram or email us at dreamtalk.au at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Now, our glasses may be empty, but we hope yours aren't. So, pour another dram! Bombas, we make socks, underwear, and T-shirts that feel good and do good. They feel good because they're designed with the softest materials and comfort innovations. They do good because for every item you purchase, we donate another item to someone who needs it. So far, we at Bombas have donated over 75 million items, and your purchases add to that impact. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash ACAST and use code ACAST at checkout.